Very nice to be here and see you. Who is anyone here for the first time just learning about Krishna consciousness? Or all kind of have some familiarity to one degree or another. Um, may I just ask, are, are you new this evening? Yes, I'm here today. Welcome. What is your real name? Uh, my name is Rohan. Rohan. Very yes. nice to meet you. Where are you from? I'm from Nepal. Uh, I live in Dallas. From Nepal and yeah, I li- uh, I'm from Nepal huh. uh, originally, but I, I I do business in Dallas. I live here. Okay, very nice. And uh, your friend here. Hi, it's my second time here. Okay. I'm new to all of this. Okay. I came back. You're a brave woman. You're a brave woman. I live here, but I'm from like Baton Rouge, New Orleans. Okay. Area. No. Louisiana. And your name is Angie. Angie, hi. That's nice to hi. And. Uh, Sir, yes, are you visiting uh, here? Do you attend often? Um, we attend pretty often, uh-huh. for about the last year and a half. Wonderful. You, yeah. toler- you tolerate this man, huh? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful to he be here. He grows on yesterday. <laughs> yeah, everyone else seems like kind of seasoned. Why should, is anyone else yeah. new? Well, I've been coming since November, but my son Nate, this is Nate, he started. He came last Wednesday, and then we went to the Kirtan in the Park Sunday. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Nate, are you in school? No, not yet. Uh-huh. Well, he, it's summer, but yes. <laughs> you mean starting college soon? No. Oh, okay. Not yet. I'm a freshman in oh. high school. Oh, my gosh. You're a very, you're very mature-looking freshman. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're all here, and it's a pleasure to see you. Uh, my name is Kala Kantadas, and um, visiting Dallas for a few days here on our way to uh, do a boys camp in Oregon. My friend and I are driving cross country, just a little summer break. We drove in this morning from New Taliban in Louisiana. So, and I didn't know I was going to be speaking tonight. <laughs> so, Louisiana. Louisiana, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Two things I had in mind. First of all, does anyone have any questions? Rohan, Angie, any any basic questions about Krishna consciousness? Like anything that is puzzled about? Any controversial issues? Is it a cult? What about women? What about you know any any things that you might want to know about Krishna consciousness, but we're afraid to ask? Are all your questions have been expertly answered? I got no question for <laughs> <laughs> if, if you are with Krishna, I believe everything's good, right? Right, right. Well, well, you know, I've been practicing Krishna consciousness since 1972. And when I started, it was very strange and very uh, small and very esoteric. And so a lot of people considered it something of an uh, intensive religious cult that was manipulating people to... Uh, act on behalf of the organization and against their will. So, um, and there, at that time also there were such organizations. One of the, the, the principles of Christian consciousness from Bhagavad Gita is called Ichcha, which means choice. So what we offer in, in the Bhakti tradition is the choice of practicing um, mantra meditation, uh, a vegetarian, uh, nonviolent diet, very simple life. These are these are choices. This is that are not ordinarily made in, in modern society, where there's a much more materialistic push. 
So uh, it's going against the grain, and therefore people think, well, people must be coerced to be part of this. And uh, my wife and I have, you know, we have three children and two grandchildren, and we have relatively normal life, aside from our morning habits of getting up early and chanting and dancing and things. <laughs> so uh, over the years, it's come, become clear that people will look for some kind of um, pejorative terms to label what they don't understand. And, and cult is one of them. So it, it used to be very difficult to convince people that no, Christian consciousness, Christian people are pretty normal, they're pretty ordinary, they're pretty down to earth. They just like to chant and they, they follow some restrictions in their life. But those restrictions are not even mandatory for those who don't choose. Anyone can just chant and there's no charge. So over the years it's become more mainstream. So after uh, we went to the University of Florida in 2006, I was invited to be part of an interfaith group called the Campus Multi-Faith Cooperative, which is uh, about 20 religious leaders representing various denominations from the B'nai B'rith to the, uh, the, the Catholic House, the Lutherans, the Mormons. Um, and in the course of our meetings, one issue came up that there was a very intensive group, this uh, uh, Christian group coming to campus that was known to use deceptive re uh, recruiting tactics. And the, all the ministers were saying, yeah, this is a cult. They, uh, they invite people to study groups and they, young, young students come to our study group and they come but it's a Bible group it's not a, you know, studying academics so they kind of trick them and then they, they uh, require a lot of financial commitment and then they say for your salvation you have to you have to save someone else otherwise you can't go to heaven it's a very high pressure recruiting and what are we going to do about this cult this is, they were really scared about it and I said well you know I have uh, 25 years experience as a cult leader, I'd be glad to help. <laughs> so uh, the conversation ended with this very interesting definition of a destructive cult. A cult is a sociological term, which means a group of uh, religious followers centered around an individual's teaching. And of course, Christianity started as a cult. Buddhism started as a, as a cult. Islam started as a Cults. It's just a, a an embryonic phase of a religious movement. So, um, but a destructive cult makes excessive demands of its members. It uh, requires people to uh, act in ways which are for the benefit of the organization as opposed to their own benefit, and uh, such things like that. So, defining the de the destructive cult helped us understand more clearly the, what this term means. So is Christian consciousness a cult? I would say sociologically it used to be, but it's gone a lot bigger than that now, you know, with hundreds of thousands of, of practitioners all over the world, millions actually. And um, more than that, it never asks excessive commitments of people. Rather, it's a giving, it's an educational organization. If you want to learn, we'll teach you what we've got. One of the, the beautiful ending verses from the Bhagavad Gita is in the 18th chapter, and Krishna says to his student Arjuna, Now I've explained everything, do what you want to do. This is icha, or choice. So uh, 
one gentleman told me, this is my favorite verse from Bhagavad Gita. I said, what's that? So where Krishna says, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> but um, uh, this is a voluntary educational experience. If you like it, add it to your life. Have the chanting. Yeah, and if you try it and you don't like it, there's a karma back guarantee. You can go right back to what you were doing before. No one's going to be calling you or pestering you. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> any other uh, any other questions you might like to explore? Another alternative is we could get the Wrap of God book out and wrap a couple of chapters from the Bhagavad Gita. Would you like to do that? Yes. We have a couple. Okay. We've got we've got plenty of. Is it different from the um, Bhagavad Gita? Yeah, it's it's, it's a lot hipper. It's a lot more hip. <laughs> it uses. Um, uses more vernacular language, and uh, thanks for well, bring some in, uh, and, and more uh, alliterations and multiple rhymes are used. Like, you know, rap is meant to make things more memorable. So I just went back and tried to take some of the starch out of the first version. Anyways, just fun to meditate. So we'll. Uh, We'll go around. If there's any rappers here, you can test your chops on this. Um, are you familiar with this phrase, the wrath of God? Yes. What does that mean to you? Uh, it's like fire and brimstone. <laughs> like, you don't want to make him mad. <laughs> he will suffer. Yes. Better follow or else, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. You know, this, this never... You can't really sustain something based on fear, right? Or coercion. What really lasts is love. Even in the Bible, um, there's a passage in which a particular religion is being questioned. And the, the sage says, if it is of God, it, it will, there's nothing you can do to stop it. And if it's out of God, then there's no way it will last. So I grew up with this notion of God as a fearful person. But from the Gita, I learned he's actually a very loving person. So that's what, uh, that's what comes out, one of the lessons that comes out in the Gita. He's loving, he's benevolent, he's not, uh, I have to think, he's not uh, coercive at all. Because love cannot be forced, right? Uh, we might uh, hold a gun at somebody and say, do you love me? And we'll say, oh yes. <laughs> but is it really love, right? So, uh, so Krishna makes it clear in the Gita that he is just here to help if we want his help. This is the benevolent nature of the Lord. So let's see, anyone have any particular favorite chapters from the Gita? We might, huh? you not chapter 15. Chapter 15, okay, that's the shortest one. That's probably a good place to start. That is what, page? 77. 77, okay. All right, so I'll tell you what. We need to have some rhythm for this. So I would, uh, a little faster. <laughs> Where's Bobby? Yeah, Bobby. Uh, yeah, I was wondering the same thing. Yeah. It's not about this pace. A little clap or tapping. Yeah, this, at least a few people. Okay. Page 78, written. To help you understand, here's a brand new analogy. Compare the world you're seeing to an endless banyan tree. 
with branches brushing on the ground and roots up in the air, its leaves and stems of Vedic hymns are sprouting everywhere. Since goodness, dark, and passion feed this endless banyan tree, its roots are stuck in mucky, muck, mundane society. No one can comprehend where this tree ends or where it starts, for it enchants the senses and ensnares the careless hearts. When you're aloof, the axe of truth can chop this banyan down. A better place awaits you where this tree is not around. Released from bluster, lust, and trusting those with motivations, detached from the duality of sadness and elation, while recognizing spirit with relentless fascination, you'll soon arrive where I reside, the highest destination. Once there, you're spared from needing sun or electricity. Attaining this, you'll never miss that crazy banyan tree. <laughs> So let's unpack this a little bit, shall we? That's, there's a lot in there. Um, so you understand, has anyone seen a banyan tree? They grow in India, Nepal, South Florida. Honolulu. Honolulu. Hawaii, yeah, Hawaii. Too. So that's the, the unique quality of this tree is that it puts out branches and then the branches drop roots that go into the ground and then those roots turn into new branches. And so the whole thing just kind of spreads all over. It's, the largest living thing in the world, they say, is some banyan tree in Calcutta, some biological part. But the point is you can't tell where it starts or where it ends. It's not like an ordinary tree in that respect. Um, so this is compared to this, this world of materialism. It just goes on and on. It, it, we don't know how we got here. We just kind of woke up here, found ourselves here, and, we, and its purpose is very unclear. So the Gita is explaining uh, that this tree is just rooted in the collective consciousness of, of mucky-muck mundane society. In other words, uh, what everybody is thinking and kind of a group think, everybody accepts. And there's a whole number of things that we accept involuntarily. Uh, for example, that we are, we are our bodies. If the, the, that we're male, we're female, we're white, we're black, we're tall, we're short, we're this race, we're this ethnicity. These are all things that we're told from our very beginning of life. This is who we are. But this is one of the illusions from the banyan tree of this material world. Uh, the, the spirit that animates the body is none of these things. It is an eternal, endless uh, element of life which cannot be vanquished by any uh, external force. But it's, it's stuck in a body that has a shelf life. So it's this incompatible situation between the soul that wants to go forever and the body that can't. It's like even, even a cockroach has this desire to live forever. That's why it runs away when we're, you know, when you turn on the light <laughs> in the room. So every soul by nature wants to live. Uh, permanently, but can't. So this is one of the functions of the banyan tree of the material world. It makes us misidentify ourselves. Any questions on that? Okay. Ron, you, you, you're very familiar with this, right? Uh, no? A little bit. A little bit, okay. Um, so then Christian goes on to advise, if you're aloof, you can cut down this illusion because there's a better way of life. Has anyone seen the movie The Matrix? 
you remember how the hero has his choice of taking the red pill or the blue pill? Right? And I forget which is which, but he takes the blue pill, whatever, he's going to see the reality. If he takes the red pill, he can just stay in the illusion. And the man giving the pill is not making any promises about what the reality will be like. So that, that's very analogous, analogous to understanding Bhagavad Gita, that it's going to show a certain reality that may or may not uh, be that easy to, under, or to accept because it's so different than what we're used to. And then that reality is that our purpose in life is to love our Creator. And we have been missing that purpose by pursuing love of things of the world. And that has left us with an empty spot in our heart, which society again tries to cover up with all kinds of uh, elaborate material enjoyments. So that's kind of a, it's a hard thing to swallow to say, my whole life I've been pursuing an illusion. And, and the, this is the choice that Gita offers us, you know, the harsh reality or the uh, pleasant illusion. But the pleasant illusion comes with that underlying uncertainty about, is this really what life is about? So, anyway, this, <clears throat> that's, that's some of the message of this section. Krishna is saying, if you go for the truth, even though it might be a little unpleasant to start with, it brings you to a much better place. Uh, a place where one gets perspective on their own purpose of life. Uh, yes, the Krishna devotees earn money, they raise families, they have ordinary responsibilities. But they don't consider this the goal and purpose of life. It's, it's a duty. This, the, the whole Gita is about the warrior who wants to run away from his duty. So the Gita doesn't advise that. It just says, that's not really the main purpose of your existence. Do these things for another reason, which is to please our Creator. So, Alright, any questions on that? Shall we do some more? Okay. Anyone like to try reading? It's not a chunk. Okay, let's, let's do the next section. Foolish souls, the tiny parts who choose to stay behind, just dash around, attached and down with sense enjoying minds, while cycling from birth to birth, birth to death, and birth to death again, evoking old identities like odors in the wind, applauding each new body with a boneheaded delight. They hail their jail of palate flavors, touches, sounds, and sights. A sucker's eyes can't recognize how bodies die and change. But its hue and cry is clear blue sky when you are trained. The striving transcendentalists can see the soul won't die, while worldly guides with downcast eyes see nothing, though they try. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is right. Pardon me? I think he's wrecked before. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> um, right, so here, here Krishna is saying people who stay attached to the illusion uh, just go through this endless repetition of birth and death. If we think about it, none of us selected the body that we have. We didn't fill out a form. We didn't have, make choices. We just all of a sudden got it. And so... I used to wonder in my Sunday school class uh, why God would allow some people to be in very difficult conditions and others in very good conditions. And if he loves everybody, if he's equal to everybody, why is he apparently so partial? 
And I was told that this is just a mystery of God, just one of the mysteries of God. But from the Gita, I began to understand, no, this is choice, that uh, whatever we are now, whatever body we have, whatever situation we have, is a result of past decisions we've made. Just like we see in this life, if we decide to go to school, you know, then that creates a certain amount of, a certain set of circumstances. If we decide to take a job, or that job, or move here, or move there, we have choice, and then the choice brings consequences. So that explains why we have gotten this particular body, past choices. And more importantly, the choices we make now determine our next body. Does that make sense? It's very, God is very neutral. He doesn't impose. Krishna lets us make our own choices, but then the, the consequences are our own to enjoy or suffer. So he's saying that people who are choosing the material life just keep coming back over and over again. And they can't get out of this banyan tree of material life. Uh, and even if they try to see what's going on, they can't uh, recognize how everyone is dying. We used to do a play in, in uh, the temple I used to live in many years ago, and go out in the street and do a little street theater. And a um, uh, newsboy would come out, back in the days when there were newspapers, the boy would come out and say, extra, extra, read all about it, death rate hits 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows that. And yet, we're all thinking it's not going to happen to me. At least not today. <laughs> so, self-realization, spiritual life, means to see, yeah, wow, this is reality. My mother always tells me, Krishna philosophy is so fatalistic. She's 99 years old. She said, it's so fatalistic, it's just so negative here. Birth, death, disease, old age. <laughs> but Krishna uh, is saying when you recognize these things, then you can see the reality of our lasting existence. And by understanding who we really are, then we can do things that please ourselves in a deeper way. Yes, everybody can please the body. Everybody knows how to do that. But to please the spirit takes some education, it takes some training and experience also. Um, the, the example is given of a bird in a cage. The cage can be polished, it can be decorated, it can be dressed up, but if the bird is not fed, it will die. So the soul is like a bird in a cage of the body. We do everything to make the body comfortable and healthy and opulent, but if we're not taking care of our inner selves, then we will always feel a lacking in life. So here's this, this, this passage is about the great advantage of seeing the soul and acting on its behalf. Any comments? Any other thoughts about that? <clears throat> Shall we read on? Anyone else like to try rapping? Yeah. No? I'll do it. Okay. To dissipate the darkness that envelops everyone, I generate the splendid light of fire, moon, and sun. sun. I penetrate the planets so they float along in space. I, pen I permeate the moonlight to give vegetables their taste. I recreate as living air that enters and retreats and allocates the power to digest the food you eat. Officiating in the heart, I educate you all by letting you forget sometimes or helping you recall. The ancient Vedic writings are compiled by me alone. I authored all the Vedas 
and by them I can be known. Now every living being stands in one of two positions. The ones with the supreme are free, and others are conditioned. Besides these two is God himself, maintaining one and all, the topmost personality who never slips or falls. My own lair is upstairs from the enlightened and conditioned, so Vedic texts declare I bear that absolute position. When you know I'm supreme and put your waffling to rest, your wisdom will grow and you will offer me your best. Unveiling all these Vedic mysteries just for your reflection, I trust you will adjust yourself and understand perfection. Yeah, the rhythm can be tough, but thank you. That was great. Here, elegance. <laughs> elocution, elocution. <laughs> All right, so um, how about this? The moonlight gives vegetables their taste. Um, my friend was saying we should study this scientifically uh, and see if depriving vegetables of moonlight will affect their flavor. You may try that sometime. Anyway, this is... Uh, one of the, the farmer's almanac has spoken that about that for a long time. Oh yeah, because uh, you just on a non-subtle practical level, if the moon can uh, affect the entire ocean rising, what does it do to the liquids within plants? Uh-huh. If, if if you cut a plant during the uh, full moon, it will draw the sap out to the point where you can get what is called a lunar burn, and it pulls the sap out. Really? So they they, they uh, pay attention to the moon cycle. Uh-huh. So the time to harvest. Very interesting. Okay, so um, Krishna is giving ways to see that we can see him. Uh, we can see him in the light of the fire, the moon or the sun. Uh, we can taste him in the vegetables or elsewhere in the water that we drink. Um, He's sitting in everybody's heart, giving us intelligence to understand things or the ability to forget things. And uh, he reaches out to us through these Vedic literatures such as Bhagavad Gita. So there are people who are trying to understand God and there are people who are wrapped up in material life. And there is a third person who is neither affected by material life nor uh, needs to pursue spirituality. That is the supreme person. So, these are, anyway, there's so many teachings in the Gita. Um, the idea of this rap book is just to kind of expose you to and, and give us a chance to do, those of us who know the book to review it a little bit. So, I'm thinking that maybe we'll do one more chapter together if there's no questions on this section. Let's do, uh, how about just the next chapter, 16. That's another short one. But why don't we do this one a little differently? Let's all do this one together. Okay. Everyone pull out your wrap shoes. And we're going to keep a beat, okay? Ready? When you're in goodness and beyond, you'll show these qualities, courageousness, enlightenment, austere simplicity, self-discipline, self-sacrifice, persistent purity, Absorption in the sacred text, a taste for charity. Integrity, nonviolence, no anger without cause. Tranquility, detachment, and distaste for finding flaws. A gentle nature leading you to care for others' needs. 
humility, vitality, indifference, degree, endurance, cleanliness, immovable determination, compassion, and an absence of the lust for adoration. These transcendental qualities promote your liberation. Your attributes, Arjuna, include all these inclinations. Divinity and decency define my friend for you. Now hear about the fiendish and their atheistic views. The fiend is fond of greedy, stupid, brutal attitudes, like arrogance beyond conceit and self-indulgent moods. He doesn't know what he should do or what he should avoid. In him, both truth and cleanliness are chronic unemployed. He says this world is bogus and there's no God in control. He thinks that life is meant for sex, for lust consumes his soul. Traversing down this trail of thought, discrimination lost, constructing senseless weapons, disregarding what they cost. The villain vainly struts about in condescending pride, compelled to crush the world by lust that's never satisfied. To raise some cash and build a stash to satisfy his senses, he fantasizes tons of lies and fabulous pretenses. Although his whole philosophy meant to bring him pleasure, he ends up in anxiety that even he can't measure. So then the fiend will think, I'm stinking rich with gold galore. My enemies are all deceased, I'll chase and waste some more. I am the king, so everything is meant for my delight. And anything I choose to do is absolutely right. My wealthy friends and relatives approach me on their knees, for none you see can ever be as powerful as me. Now watch me give some charity and feed the worthless poor. Like that he thinks and drinks and sinks in madness more and more. Complacent, vain, and impudent, neglecting regulations, the fiendish fake some rituals to make their reputations. Pretensions of demented demons doomed to fall apart. This bogus bastard business, this is God inside his heart. Nonplussed by tough anxiety and lust they cannot quell, the fiendish flush all piety and bust a path to hell. These rotten, rude, resentful rascals, lowermost of men, are born as animals, or worse, again and yet again. As animals, the fiendish favor stool and beastly tastes, ignoring me entirely, their human rights waste. Three days lead to this hellish life, unkindness, lust, and rage. The same with brains to jump this train, attain the highest stage. The sacred text can guide you best, but fiends perform on whims that leave them downright flawed and lost their destination dim. So stay correct with sacred text, and step by step you'll see to higher blissful consciousness that grows and multiplies. Good. Good. <laughs> The divine and demoniac nature. So, any reflections on this? Intense. Intense. It was intense. It made me think, like, in this language, it makes me think of some things we see on the news. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Like putting so much money into nuclear weapons. Yeah, which have no benefit for anybody, but so much energy goes into this. That's a perfect example. Yeah, and other news yeah. where character doesn't matter, 
Just getting on top is all that matters. Good. Other other reflections on this? So you guys did very well. I guess it's easier to do it together. Put you on the spot. Um, anyway, um, I am very happy to be here tonight. I, I don't know if we should go on, if everybody's content. I'd be happy to give you each a copy of this book as a gift. We've got lots of them. Distribute, so please accept it. You can wrap it on your own. So any any other thoughts, reflections, questions? It's not a child, but what should we do? What do you think? We could talk a little more, we could have a sodom. About five five, ten minutes to get all the plates ready. Okay. So five, ten minutes, we could do another chapter. We can talk about any of what we just read. Anything else? I'll just make a general statement. Sure, please. The thing I, I found so intriguing about being here and I keep coming back is that I feel so different. Like I get to learn things kind of just step by step, bit by bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's not even stuff I've, it's not even like stuff I've read or like it's just silly situations, like things I might get mad at sometimes. Mm-hmm. I look at completely differently. Can you give an example? Well, like, well, I, sh- I shared this with you guys a couple of weeks ago, but one day at work we were opening all this furniture we received because um, we're renovating one of our, I work in a nursing community. And I was like, this is, I was thinking to myself, this is so stupid. We're not organized at all. Like all this paper is <laughs> flying and I was getting so angry. And then I was mm. like, no, you don't, you don't need to do that. Just, Yeah, Harry Krishna. And I did, quietly. But then, (laughs) Krishna, the other thing I noticed was um, how our moods are impacted by other people Mm -hmm. so frequently. Mm -hmm. um, I'll go on break with one of my really, it's actually a close friend I work with um, Mm -hmm. for some time now. But um, I noticed how much she and I can be negative and talk Mm -hmm. about what's wrong in our lives, what our boyfriends or husbands did, Mm -hmm. or what, you know, this person made me mad, and, you know, I just kind of started to observe that, and not necessarily try to fix her problems, or have her fix mine, but just be in mm. a place where I'm like, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you. So, yeah. like, so you become more, more introspective, and um, yeah. not, not necessarily acceding to the demands that your mind might make. Right, yeah. That's amazing, that's I'm sorry, I didn't get your name. Aaron. Aaron. Yeah, that's that's uh, a wonderful uh, example. So you're you're able to act more with more deliberation, with more intention, as opposed to just impulsively. Yeah, reactivity zone. Yes. Right. yes. <laughs> this is one of the great benefits of chanting Hare Krishna. That it's sort of like lifting weights for the mind. Yeah. You know, when keeping the mind from dominating us uh, strengthens our the muscles of our intelligence so that our intelligence can manage the mind instead of the mind overpowering our intelligence. Have you seen this example in the Gita of the, um, the chariot? The body is compared to a chariot and the, the horses are the senses, six senses, six horses. And then attached to the horses are the reins. The reins are called, compared to the mind. And then the intelligence is the driver. And we, the souls, are the passenger. So if the intelligence is driving and controlling the mind, 
and the mind controls the senses, then the intelligence can take the soul to the destination it wants, the passenger. But if the horses are running the show and the mind cannot restrain them, the intelligence is being pulled any direction they choose to run. So it sounds like your intelligence is strengthened to the point where you can catch yourself reacting passionately, impulsively, and okay. Yeah. I don't have to control that. Yeah. <laughs> People do it in their cars too, all those kind of like you notice it in your car. You just slow down and just stick your and <laughs> breathe. <laughs> That's so nice. Thank you very much. Thank you. I think you should be very proud of your mother. She's becoming a great yogini. <laughs> yes, sir. You're so, you know, I appreciate that there's like the light and the dark, the mm-hmm. yin and the yang here. Mm-hmm. Because it starts off with the divinity where Krishna is speaking, and he says, uh, talking about goodness and beyond these qualities, courageousness, enlightenment, austerity, simplicity, uh, self-discipline, self-sacrifice, persistence, uh, persistent purity, uh, then absorption of the sacred text, the taste for charity, uh, integrity, nonviolence, no anger without cause, uh, tranquility, uh, detachment, a distaste for finding fault. So you just think of those qualities right there. And, and if you think of a saintly person, whether if they've been somebody from the Vaishnava tradition or the apostles mm-hmm. in the Bible, mm-hmm. or I'm sure that there are some in the Muslim faith. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming there are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you think of godly qualities, these are the things that you think of, okay? You know, it's doing doing for others and not doing for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's summed up, you know, love God with all your heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, and your whole heart. Then love your neighbor. Yes. And yes. so, if we, if we think about that, then Krishna is telling us, about the fiend, okay? A fiend is fond of their greedy, their stupid, brutal attitudes, uh, arrogance beyond conceit, self-indulged moods. Uh, then uh, talks about um, of him both truth and cleanliness are chronic unemployed. So if you think about a person like that, honestly, you can say that the vast majority of the world is like this. Mm. I remember somebody was talking about the turn of the century from, you know, 1899 to the 1900s, okay? There were only about 25 things that a, a man or woman was alive was considered to be necessity, mm-hmm. okay? But then you think about today, you watch TV and you're bombarded with everything's a necessity. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to take this drug to counteract this, okay, or do this to take this drug, okay? There's a drug for a drug for a drug for a drug, okay? <laughs> Just for a second, you know? Or what about people who, you know, every time you turn on the news or turn on the television, you're seeing, you know that car you bought two years ago, you gotta get the newest thing. You know, it's got the new grilling, okay? The new car smell, you know? And so, you know, it's all about uh, fleshly gratification. Mm. But then it talks about, then it talks about lust. Of discrimination, uh, laws, and different things. Then it talks about lust. Well, what do they use to sell products today? They use lust. Okay. Guess what? If you, you know, if you take this pill, you're going to look a lot better for this person over here. You know, look how much life you're, you, your life's going to be so much better. But it's all vanity. Mm-hmm. It's it's just striving after the, the 
Thanks. So I really appreciate this chapter, even in in uh, you know, hip hop. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, that that's. Uh, I, I really appreciate your point. Um, mm -hmm. you, you referred to that that biblical quote. Jesus was asked, "What's your first commandment? Love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul, and then love thy neighbor as thyself." So, first thing is loving God, and, and the, the divine qualities, the saintly qualities, are a byproduct of that love. They don't have to be developed separately. If if we divert or direct our attention to our our Creator instead of the things of this world or other people of this world, then our our ability to interact with others becomes uh, elevated to the point where we're not causing any violence or distress for anybody. You know what's amazing to me is you know people are so ingrained about I'm the body, okay. Mm -hmm. And that's true. It doesn't matter if you're from India, I'm the body. Or if you're an American, I'm the body. Mm -hmm. You know, why do they got to do it that way? Or why do you got to do it that way? <laughs> and it's prevalent in religion today because no. people people cannot trans transcend from thinking of Hindu ways or, Christ or Christian ways. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's either this way or it's got to be this way. Mm -hmm. Well, really, one. It interlocks. It's like an interlocking uh, cog. Okay, it all works together. One may not explain everything over here. One may not explain everything over here. But if you put them together, you know, it seamlessly, you know, um, takes you. You know, um, I think somebody mentioned the scripture that that um, may have said. I don't know if somebody said it, but I remember reading or hearing it. Um, Jesus said that he couldn't tell his disciples all the things. Because they couldn't absorb them all, okay. Um, so, you know, they couldn't understand that. You know, if you go read the Bible, they were very simple men. They were fishermen. They were fishermen mm -hmm. for the most part, mm -hmm. and they just didn't understand the complexities of the things that Jesus was trying to show them. So he had to be very, very simple with them. But yet, when you take the Vedic scriptures and you take the uh, biblical scriptures and put them together. It's wonderful to see the personality of Krishna as God over here and how it transcended and showed the love through Christ mm -hmm. over here. It's seamlessly. And so uh, I really appreciate learning the Vedic scriptures. So nice. Very nice realization. So, what is your good name? What is my good yeah. name? Well, my name is Larry, but my uh, grandson calls me uh, Stop It Puppy. <laughs> which, which do you prefer? Yeah, that's going to be my Vashnava name. <laughs> Stop it, Poppy. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yes, there's no such thing as Hindu gold, Muslim gold, Christian gold, Islamic gold. You know, gold is gold. And, and similarly, loving God is the same regardless of the tradition in which you appear. I, I like to use the analogy, if you, if you take a golden string here, and stretch it across time and place and circumstance, it's still a string of golden truth that transcends and goes through all. Mm. Yes, that's very nice. This word transcend means rising above the mundane. And, um, you know, American traditional uh, uh, philosophers have been very interested in transcendental uh, experience. But um, 
in the West, it has been so much obscured by the materialism. This is Srila Prabhupada's great gift that he brought. Uh, you know, there have been editions of Bhagavad Gita, for example, in English for two or three hundred years. Thomas Jefferson had one. But no one ever became a devotee of Krishna, even though there's 700, 700 editions of the Gita in English before Srila Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita as it is. And, and the reason is because it was spoken from the perspective of a, a true practitioner, not a, not a scholar or just somebody with an ulterior agenda. And uh, that resonate, has resonated with so many people around the world of all different backgrounds. That, that thread of truth through time. Uh, thank you. This is a very nice realization. So, so what do you think about your husband's uh, perspective on things here? She says I've been listening to her. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> We've been married a long time every day today, so we're good. <laughs> no comment right now. I heard a good joke about yeah. marriage the other day. Can I tell you? Can I tell you the joke? Sure, sure. So the husband goes to the doctor and says, Doctor, my wife is going deaf. He said, Are you sure? I, oh yeah, I'm positive she's just going deaf. Well, before you make up your mind, why don't you just try this little test. Stand behind her and say something and see if she can hear you. So he, he goes home, he walks in, and his wife's at the sink in the kitchen. So he says, so what's for dinner tonight? No response. Walks up a little closer. What's for dinner tonight? No response. Walks up right behind her. What's for dinner tonight? She turns around and says, for the third time, spaghetti. <laughs> so, so who's deaf? <laughs> All right, thank you very much. So, any other thoughts, Angie? What do you think? I'm still trying to figure it all out, but I guess I don't want to take anyone's time. <laughs> I can always ask later. But may I ask you what what attracts you to Christian consciousness? What do you uh, find interesting about it? Well, um, having very little, but feeling rich, and uh, the kindness and the humility, mm. and uh, the love and the kindness—all of that resonates with me. Mm. You experience that in the getting to know the divine. My own heart condition, uh -huh. you know, it speaks my language. Uh -huh. yeah. Yes, so, so, so have you begun chanting or are you practicing chanting? Well, I've done it twice now. Uh -huh. okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm open. Okay. I guess if I had to ask, and I, I know you're towards the end, but I guess, um, and I grew up Jehovah's Witness, you know? mm -hmm. so I guess I'm like, okay, who's in charge? You know, who's your God, and what are your fundamental beliefs? Mm. So that I'm still trying to figure out. I see. I see. Um, the, the basic idea is that God is a person, and his name is Krishna. He's a very specific individual, and, and he speaks his instructions in the Gita, his life story is explained in another text, the Srimad Bhagavatam, and uh, he is an eternal, blissful personality who never changes. In other words, there's never a time when he did not exist, and all the creation comes from him. And all, including us, his, his uh, tiny sons and daughters, we all come from him also. And we're meant for bringing him pleasure. 
that's our purpose in life. But if we choose not to fulfill that purpose, he, he sends us to Dallas, basically. <laughs> in the summer, yeah. <laughs> so we have the choice to serve him or not serve him. And if we choose not to serve him, then we have this, this illusion, the banyan tree, the, the uh, matrix to, to immerse ourselves in. But at any time we change our mind, we're not satisfied with the experience we're having in that world, we can turn to him and say, how can I please you? How can I serve you? So the, the chant, Hare Krishna, is simply a prayer to God, please let me serve you. How may I serve you? That's the meaning. That's another uh, Would you mind briefly telling us how you were introduced to Krishna consciousness possibly? Yes, I was a <clears throat> just I was a seeker. I was eighteen, and, and for the last two years before that, I had been practicing yoga and meditation and trying to understand. I was very confused and very frustrated in my spiritual search. So I mean, I visited Buddhist ashrams and Catholic churches and evangelical churches and AME churches, and uh, there was just something missing from everything. Right? I, I was supposed to go to college, and I went to visit the college and at the professors and the students, and I thought, they don't really have what I'm looking for. So I was a seeker and lacking uh, guidance. So I just had, took a simple job and was working downtown in Portland, Oregon, and there I met some devotees doing uh, kirtan, chanting on the street corner. So I asked them uh, what they're about. They gave me one of their books. I tried to read the book. I couldn't understand it. <laughs> so then I went to visit the temple, and I had a very vivid impression that here are people who are walking the talk. Uh, they're actually following spiritual principles and you know, immersing themselves in spiritual life, and they seem very happy and kind. And uh, that uh, inspired me to say, okay, let me, let me try out this way of life. So I became a monk and spent 10 years as a monk, and then got married, and spent 37 years uh, Remembering my happy days as a monk. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Is this being recorded? <laughs> um, so I, I was, I, I, didn't, I had an unremarkable story, but it was at the end of my spiritual quest that I, I ran into Bhagavad Gita, Shiva Prabhupada's. Uh, disciples. I got to meet Shiva Prabhupada several times. And uh, it's been a very rewarding life, and, and I never felt like I missed anything. Uh, that, that is, uh, and I just turned 65, and my, a lot of people my age have many regrets in their life. So I found that it is a great gift from Shiva Prabhupada. I, I, I can honestly say I don't have any regrets about decisions I made and my choice to follow Krishna. Uh, so I'm very happy to share it with others for that reason. I feel like it will help everybody. And according to how you apply it in your particular life, it's up to you. But the, the knowledge that Prabhupada gave is just, has enriched my life immensely. And uh, I encourage you to you know, try it. It's, it. You can chant in the group, and you can also chant on beads at home. It's very powerful. Uh, even five, ten minutes a day spent on chanting on beads can have a remarkable effect on your day. So I, I actually hope you take it, take it from the, the group to your so little private practice and see what you think.
Thank you. All right. All right any other? This one. Well, I'd like to just share something with you since, you know, you're from a Christian background. And one of the things I considered is, you know, you know, the God of the Bible versus God of the Hindu, so to speak, okay? And what I came to find out in coming to learn the Bhagavad Gita mm. is there's only one God. Yes. Okay? A Christian, you know, if you read the Bible and go back through Christianity, there's about a 6,000 year back to Adam, okay? The Bible itself, the book of Moses that wrote the beginning of Genesis wasn't written until about 1450 BCE. So mm. 1450 years before Christ, is when the book of Moses was written. Mm. 1700 plus years prior to that was when the Bhagavad Gita was spoken. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I and even like using the name Jehovah, that's a modern English name. It was unknown in the first century, mm. and even the tetragrammaton that's used, uh, YHWH, mm. was Yahuwah. Mm. Okay, mm. and then in about the 12th century. AD, it became, it was translated into Latinized version of what we now know as Jehovah. Mm -hmm. But if you read the Bible, there's thousands of names of God, even in the Bible, that's been translated Lord thy God. And Krishna is none different than Jehovah. Yes, it's the same person. It's the same person. Just, a, a, a man can have so many different names according to the relationship, isn't it? He'd be boss. He could be Mr. Smith, he could be Dad, he could be Fred, he could be Dear. You know, same man, so, so many different names. So, so God has countless different names according to the relationship. Krishna means the all-attractive person. So, and it's not like my God can beat up your God kind of thing. You know, it's, it's just one, there is just one supreme uh, person. I spoke to a lady at work and I says, if God could appear to Moses as a burning bush, mm. couldn't he also appear as as a uh, person mm -hmm. to uh, a devotee, you know, 2,000 years prior to that? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's nothing impossible. Yeah, exactly. He's unlimited. Uh, and the first requirement in understanding God is to understand he's beyond our power to conceive. <laughs> but this this point very is very important. He's a person, and um, a person is always superior to a non-person. Much of what is associated with Eastern mysticism is an impersonal idea of God becoming one with everything. Yeah, but but that is an inferior understanding of God because it's just it's remote. It's impersonal. He is a person. He has a personality. He has likes and dislikes. He has friends. He has relatives. He has parents. You know, he's not an a, uh, orphan. He's not a loner. You know, he's not uh, going on Facebook to see if he can get some likes. <laughs> he's, uh, he's benevolent. He is uh, omniscient. He knows everything about us. Um, so we don't have to hide anything from him. We can just be who we are. We just change the purpose of our life from pleasing our bodies to pleasing him. That's what chanting will do for you. So, thank you. Hare Krishna. I think we're ready now. We're going to have some Krishna Prasad, which is sanctified food, vegetarian food. Thank you for coming this evening. It's a real pleasure to meet you all. Thank Hare you. Krishna.